Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. Well, it's that time to be taken down the garden path with Mel and Mike. Yes, we are chatting about all things green and gorgeous. And uh, of course, one of the things, Michael, you might have noticed, um, well, I think we've all noticed it in the gardening industry is that everybody's far more aware and far more wanting to grow their own food at yeah. home. Yeah, I, I, I think if you go into garden centers now and you see what they're selling on the floor, and compare it with what they were selling on the floor a decade ago, um, you're going to be very surprised at what you see. I mean, the fruit, the, the, the number of fruit trees I see. Um, I was going to say, there, and nuts you just, as well. Nut tree, you just can't, you, you can't, you cannot believe. And, you know, the, the seedlings, the, 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 the veggie seedlings and things that they're selling um, mm. by the thousand. So it all used to be about color and ornamentals. And I think that has changed dramatically so it's not in in the imagination no oh, everybody's yeah. coming in and wanting i want these and i want those and i'm like okay why don't you take some of those as well and put this in i sell lots of stuff to people but somebody who is very very good at selling food plants to people is somebody who's been doing it a lot longer than we have what don't you think michael well yeah I, you know a good friend of ours and and we always whenever we talk about food gardening whether she's with us or not we always think about her um so hello linda Hello, Mark. Yes, Linda Galvin <laughs> from Sort After Seedling. She's sitting here looking all cute and blonde. And I mean, Linda and I work together on a number of things. I'm sure that if you've been uh, watching the home channel um, for the last couple of years, you'll have seen Linda as the person who pops up in the middle of the show and does everything to do with growing your veggies at home and how to do it and um, everything that goes around making sure that your produce is, I hate to use the word organic, I'd say more natural because everything that grows is organic. Um, but if you put it in your mouth, then you can eat it. But <laughs> should we say that we know where our food is coming from and what we are putting into it? So we've asked her to come in and give her the, give us the benefit of her wisdom and find out what she's doing. Linda, it's so good to see you. Thank you, Mel. I always love being on your show, both of you. You're so entertaining. I always wonder how you just let these things flow off your tongue so easily. It's just unpracticed, but so natural. Practice. <laughs> we, we, we practiced being unpracticed <laughs> no uh, it comes naturally to us and I think it comes naturally to you you just don't Absolutely. realize it because we love it and That's because we're it. passionate about what we're speaking about if you know what I'm saying so yeah um, one of the things that always fascinates me when speaking to you Linda is um, the, the types of veggies that you're promoting as opposed to the run of the mill stuff I think that's that's what people like to hear and they like to hear what it's all about and why should they really be looking at it so for me, I've found a very, I've actually come full circle in a way. Um, I, as you know, started this uh, in 2010 because I wanted to give people the opportunity to grow their own food. And the driving force behind that was because I wanted people to eat well so that they can be healthy and they can have, uh, you know, the lifestyle diseases that plague us all today. Um, they're just so prevalent that I thought if I brought in some really sexy vegetables, uh, seeds, the Frankie Cementi seed range, which are good quality seeds, which grow, which give people confidence, and I teach them how to do it or do it for them, um, it will promote that feel-good you know, you are what you eat, look after your soil, the soil grows the plant, the plant grows the person. Um, and that, in that 
saying that, the soil grows the plant and the person. It's not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. As I'm sure you're aware that recently um, so much information has come about that what you eat actually does affect your moods, your sleeping, your cognitive ability, and how so many lifestyle diseases are actually attached to your gut and how many things are created in your gut in terms of your neurons and neurotransmitters. And that is where I've come full circle, having done my undergrad in psychology. That's actually what brought me to organic gardening and being in nature and living the food health, healthy life. Well, we've got two blondes here that are very, very well versed in, in studying all kinds of stuff and throwing it <laughs> out there. People just look at them and go, oh, they're blondes who work in the garden, garden girls. <laughs> Not so. I mean, Michael's now got into the stage where he's basically a landscape architect. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, it's nice to know that from soil to soul is the way that we should be going. That's a lovely one. Yes, I love that. Don't steal it. It's mine. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll remember. I know a lot of people get all excited about growing their own food and whatnot, and then they lose their mojo and they lose their momentum and whatnot. Yes. And I I think it's largely, you know, that, well, you know, I planted the tomatoes and they didn't really yield much, and I I planted peas and they didn't do, you know, I got three pods out of it. And, you know, how how do we get people like that excited? How do we encourage people when they're not having success? So I always say to people, because that's a very common, uh, you know, it's a common complaint, and I always find it so hard um, to try and let people understand that it's got nothing to do with that famous saying, you know, having green fingers. There's no such a thing. Um, for most of my life, I couldn't even keep a cactus alive. And that's because I didn't water it. So I always like to explain that it really does start with your soil. There are three things that will inhibit the success of a vegetable. Actually four, but the top three is you have to have your soil right. Soil is imperative. You grow your soil and the soil naturally Mm. will grow the plant. And this is what I teach in my organic gardening courses, that soil is really where you start. And we spend a lot of time on it. You have to understand that. Um, The quality of your seed. A lot of the time, the lack of germination or the ill-producing plant or the fact that it doesn't produce anything at all has to do with the quality of the seed. So it's actually not the person at all. They've done everything right, and then they just buy poor quality seed and they don't produce. And that's a massive downer for the confidence of the person. The third thing is watering. You know, people have the best intentions to water Mm. their plants. And I always encourage my clients as well as my students that put some sort of irrigation system in because it's reliable. And as much as you think you're going to water or if you go away, there's no chance of vegetables not getting watered. The fact of the matter is there are lots of things that you can do to mitigate our very low low rainfalls. We do live in a semi-arid country, but vegetables do need water. That's the bottom line. And lastly, taking care of doing things like crop rotation, that definitely does set the ground for having successful crops in the future. And I always try and say to people that when they are going to consider doing their own vegetable gardens, if they can just start off with getting their soil correct and mulch, because that retains moisture in the soil, feeding correctly, um, organic gardeners are famous for overfeeding and then wondering why their crops aren't doing well. If they can just get those basic things in, you know, on tap, they are bound to have success. But the self-blaming and the recrimination and the bad cropping often has to do with seed seed quality, often. 
So it's always better to go for something which is tried and tested um, and also is heirloom because, I mean, a lot of people don't know the difference between the heritage or heirloom seed and the, the general stuff that you get out there or something that your friend may have given you. So I love this question, Mel, because an heirloom seed, a lot of people don't actually know the difference between what's heirloom and organic. And I like to explain that too. Um, because organic has to do with your methodology. It's got to do with how you grow the plant and what you use to grow the plant, whether you use any kind of chemicals or toxins, or that would be non-organic, obviously, or what methodology you use, like crop rotation, using natural beneficial mm -hmm. plants to you know, keep your pests away or making your own insecticides, growing things in the right season, um, and of course, crop rotating, which is very important, moving your crops every season so there's no pest buildup in the soil. So that is when organic, um, and I know you don't love that word, but that is where the organic term comes from. It's got to do with method methodology, whereas heirloom or heritage seed has to do with the genetics of the seed. So an heirloom seed, the top five things about an heirloom or heritage seed is that one, they are the parents and child are identical. Two, you can harvest your seeds and re-sow them for generations to come. They will never, you know, you won't um, harvest a purple tomato and then get a green one from that. Parent-child identical. Um, three, so for food security, when you're able to harvest your seed and re-sow them, that is very important for food security. Fourth, the broad-based genetics of an heirloom or heritage seed. It means that there's nothing that's been tampered with, nothing that's been removed or changed, mm. which happens in hybridization, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't have the strength and resilience that an heirloom or heritage seed has because that variety has been around for a minimum of 100 years. So it has gone through many decades of different climates, different soil conditions, different you know inclement weathers. Mm. So it's actually very very strong. So it has a natural resilience and an ability to adapt to different biomes. Very important. Um, and lastly, you have the most unbelievable flavors and varieties available to you. So the importance of heirlooms precedes any other as far as I'm concerned because you have longevity. And if you put an heirloom seed in an organic environment, you will not only have an heirloom variety that you will be able to harvest, but it will be an organic heirloom variety. But what happens if you have, say, two different heirloom tomatoes that are in there? The chances of cross-pollination are going to end up with a couple of different things as well, because bugs aren't going to be, oh, well, I'm only going to go and eat the Greek tomato. Well, interestingly enough, um, tomatoes are called, they have perfect flowers, which means they pollinate themselves the uh, tomato varieties. However, you get a group of tomatoes called brandywine tomatoes, and they have the possibility of cross-pollination. So that's kind of like um, a lot of those aren't the heirloom, the stats on that heirloom don't mm. go as far back, but not necessarily so. You generally will still get true to type. You won't get such a massive hybridization. Interestingly enough, your zucchini or baby marrow varieties are also divided into different classes. And if you plant a class that is two that are from the same class, there is also a possibility of cross-pollination, but you will get an identical plant. You, you won't get like a massive difference mm. of, you know, the flower will all of a sudden be purple. It's unusual. It's, it generally doesn't happen that way. Learn something new every day. I didn't know that about tomatoes. 
Yeah. Did you? Yeah, well, that's why we speak to people like Linda. Um, you know, Melanie and I always, when we talk about things, we say, it's talk to the people that know. <laughs> and I think that's the best advice we can give. Mm. One of the things I'm, I must say while I was listening to you is, is a position. Um, and people are always battling with this. And it's something that I've, as a landscape, I've had to learn through trial and error in my own garden is, you know, where does, where does my spinach, where is it happiest? Um, where is my lettuce happiest? Where, where are my tomatoes happiest? And it's crazy. I have a spinach corner and I just know it's going to be happy in that corner. <laughs> so and you're not doing crop rotation. You're planting the same things in the same no, place. I, I, I can't do that because, because I have my spinach corner and my spinach corner is the only corner I have where it's happy. <laughs> so I could do crop rotation where, say, for instance, I've got several things that, that you know, maybe grow in the sunny, the sunny corner. And funnily enough, my spinach and lettuce, they like the dappled morning uh, dappled morning sun and they don't like the afternoon sun so well, so um, i mean what do people look for when they look is it always trial and error so that's actually such a great example um when you talk about spinach are you talking about what south africans call swiss chard or are you talking okay so i've got a bit of everything i've got some swiss chards and some bright lights and it's a nice colorful corner so yeah. so it's so interesting because those crops particularly and lettuce as you mentioned are not one of the crops well the crops that you have to crop rotate. Mm. Swiss chard spinach, um, when you see uh, small necroses develop on the leaves, they're like tiny little black holes mm. virtually, then you know your Swiss chard needs to move. And that can happen anything from three to five years. So, th so your spinach, your Swiss chard corner, you can keep it. It's great. Thank you. That, that's perfect. <laughs> and you certainly know your stuff, Mark, so you'll know. With crop rotation, um, you, there are certain families, groups of crops that you have to crop rotate because the pest buildup within the soil that are particular to those crops are rapid. They're high. They're prone to pests. And also another reason why you crop rotate is because um, you've got to replenish the nutrient levels in the soil because certain crops feed at different levels or at different quantities to each other. And you've got to make sure that you replenish the soil's nutrient availability to the next crop. And there are tricks to do that. So with something like your summer crops, as you mentioned Dappled light for soft leaf, leafy greens like your lettuce especially, that's perfect. I always say try for morning light and afternoon shade because our afternoon mm. sun is just so very, very harsh. And that also ties into watering. In summer, water as early as you possibly can before or up to 7.30, anything from 6 to 7.30 well, in the morning. Have to, be, it have to be at least before 6 o'clock in the morning in Johannesburg. Oh, because, because we're still under um, water, oh, restrictions. water restrictions. Yeah. So that's a very good point. And if you water in the afternoon, don't water earlier than 4.30 because it's still so very mm. hot. And interestingly enough, in the last three to five years, I've changed that clock. It just seems to get hotter and hotter later and later in mm. the day. And in winter, I always say you water um, you know, if we had the luxury of being able to water twice a day in summer, that would be the perfect times. And in winter, once a day in the morning, not before 8 o'clock and not later than 9.30. Simply because if you water too early, you know, it can you can get a freeze in, in the actual plant mm. if you water too early. But positioning for summer, morning sun, afternoon shade, Six hours of sunlight a day is a good idea. All your soft leafy greens like your basils and lettuce, anything that feels like a lettuce can definitely go into dappled light. Dappled light's a difficult one. It does not mean full shade. Vegetables don't grow in full shade. It means more light than dark, if I can describe yeah. it that way. That's an interesting thing that people often come in and go, 
um, I, I, I want to grow vegetables. Can I do them in this area? And I'm like, okay, how much sun does it get? No, it doesn't get much sun at all. And then you can't grow vegetables. <laughs> it's interesting that people come in and say, you know, I have no space. I need to grow vegetables. And it's become one of those things that's very much pushed, especially for the millennials at the moment. They're very into growing their own food, <clears throat> but they don't know how to do it. And most of them don't have gardens. So they think, oh, I'm just going to go and pop this in a pot on my windowsill, which gets a little bit of sunlight every day. And then they can't understand why these things don't grow. And we all know the whole story about... Um, one of the big supermarket chains bringing in oh, a little garden which you can grow, but it was all the wrong stuff at the wrong time of year. And then there were all these very depressed people because their things weren't growing. So, I mean, how do you get that across to people who are now buying stuff and saying, oh, I'm never going to grow anything because it just doesn't want to work? I love that question. And I know that you've chatted to me about that before because it's really a concern of yours. And it's a really, it's a big concern of mine too. Um, so, what I used to do when we supplied the nurseries, you know, when we supply the nurseries with Frankie Cementi seeds, we try and supply the seeds that are applicable to the season. Mm. Um, we do also supply a, a, quite a small range of things that are not applicable to the season because we find that people who live in different climates, are, you know, like to look for those as well. Um, and I really feel that supplying information that explains to people that, it is really important that you plant season specific for so many reasons, one mm. of them being success and not getting depressed about failing. For me, that is imperative. But more importantly, what you've just discussed about putting your pot plant in very poor soil that you've bought at a nursery without actually the knowledge of what the plant needs to grow in a little bit of sunlight and then hoping for success is you know, that's just going to depress you because it's not going to work. And having little bits of space these days is a very common thing. Um, and one of the things that you can do is grow in pots. I believe everything can grow in a pot. Mm. The key factors when it comes to pots are the following. One, you have to have a pot that's the correct size. And that has to do with the width and the depth of that pot. I always encourage people to never plant in anything smaller than a 25 centimeter pot width and depth. The second thing that you have to consider is you have to put drainage in. In a smaller pot from 25 centimeters up to about 50 centimeters, you are required three centimeters of drainage, which I like to use gravel to mm. do that. You may have to make sure, thirdly, that you have enough drainage holes in the pot. Oh, I've had so many people who have been yes. coming in and they say, I can't understand why my orchid isn't uh, growing. Look, it is starting to rot. I'm like, okay, you've got it in a glass bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a common occurrence, yeah. So drainage holes, we generally buy pots that have one hole in them if they're not plastic or three to four holes if they are. You need to increase that. You need to have at least seven to ten holes, possibly the size of a pencil. has to be sufficient drainage. Mm. The next thing is that your soil mix is so vital. Putting just plain potting soil in there that you buy is not going to work. It has hardly any nutrients. You have to have things like vermiculite, which retains moisture, compost, organic compost that actually has the ability to level out the pH, give the plant what it needs when it needs it, feed the plant with important things like tailborne organics, um, Vita veg. that's mm. very important. Do that every 
once in three months or make your own little fertilizer feed with, you know, weeds or comfrey or, you know, rotting manure or rotting or bokashi juice. Or your bokashi juice, absolutely. Um, another thing to consider is that it has to have sufficient sunlight. It will not grow in two hours of light a day. It just won't do that. Um, and if you go for bigger pots, then you can increase the drainage to six centimeters. And that is ample. I infected a garden um, for a client and the whole garden was in pots. It was the most astonishing little garden and it produced enormously. Mm. We're now going into our summer season in that garden and we're so excited to see the results because she's feeding a family of four um, with the four meter by four meter garden all in pots and the success rate is astounding. Really good. Yeah, well, I've always believed in the container um, option because I think as well they're, they're sort of portable, so you can move them around as well if you need to Absolutely. to get that light. And and one of the things I found out um, as a designer, what I found out is a lot of people are asking me for patio solutions. So they're mm-hmm. looking for plants that are happy on patios and things like that. And that's where the, the containers and the container gardening comes in very strongly. But then once again, um, have you got a light patio or have you got a dark patio? And yes. I think those are the things too that I certainly have to look out for because um, it's bad advice, isn't it? If you just say, well, you know, I'll just put the plants in the patio and run. Oh, Mark, you know, yeah. you're a special guy. There's so many people yeah, who will do exactly that. <laughs> like, of course it can grow in there. Yeah. Um, a very important thing is, uh, which you well know, is your environmental factors that influence wherever you put your plants. So whether it's a wind tunnel that's coming past and, you know, keeping those plants from growing successfully or if a neighbor's tree or wall actually casts a shadow onto that area for five hours a day, you've got to watch, you know, see where you want to plant and see whether the environmental factors that will influence that area check in the morning and mm. in the afternoon. Check what happens in summer. Are the trees around the area evergreen? You know, are they going to cast a shadow from three o'clock in the afternoon in winter, which is a problem because you need as much light as you possibly can have. So those environmental factors, we actually do a whole section of that in our organic gardening courses so that people become aware. It's not just about, oh, here's a sunny spot on the south side of my house where I get zero light right at the back where you need a gun to go and get your vegetables at night. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but, you know, bring it close to the house and make it part of your Mm. lifestyle. And uh, you know how I feel, Mel, you feel the same way. Dig up that grass and put put food in there yeah. instead. No, absolutely. I, mean, I, I kind of uh, try and get my kids to get growing food as well. And they, they have had this whole thing. So they go to the school. I mean, they don't do it at home, but they tell everybody at school exactly how it should be done. And I love the fact that so many schools are now putting in food gardens as well. Absolutely. And getting kids to learn because it's something that I think is being lost so we're not only you know, educating adults because, I mean, we should have all been educated by this. This Absolutely. should be part of school curriculum as far as I'm concerned. But when you go out into even the rural areas, they're learning, they're not learning how to grow food anymore because it's seen as something that only poor people do. Absolutely. Whereas we come into the cities and it's something that all the rich people do. So we've got to change that mindset as well and get people to understand that food security starts at home. Absolutely. And health. For health reasons. So that's how we've tried to get into um, people's minds that it's actually got nothing to do with whether you can afford it or not. And you're so right about what you're saying, how communities see it as a a form of being 
poor. That yeah, you they'd can't rather afford. eat a, a hamburger than have some exactly. spinach. Yeah. Or go and buy it at a shop. Yeah. Shows, you know, that they can afford it. But it's a health thing. Um, if people only know what kind of nutrient loss that you get from vegetables that you buy in store or what kind of um, sprays and toxins are being used to get those vegetables mm. to grow, you would be horrified. Horrified. Well, I know that there's been with another store a whole backlash at the moment I've been noticing on um, social media where they're proclaiming their fruit and veg to be organic, whereas they're not actually sticking by the guidelines. So do you find that people are looking at more, being more natural or organic in the way of farming? Or do you think it's still very much big, big, what do you call it? Not big farmer, you'd call it big cropping. Big agri. Big, but there we go. That's the word, agri. <laughs> It's such a difficult thing to say. I think that the public is demanding that there be, you know, more providence in the food um, that they can trace back. And the, the, the commercial farmers are adapting that apparent providence where they can actually trace back how the crop was grown. But adopting an organic, natural approach to big agri, no. I don't think Too that's happening. Too many people to feed. Is it more, a lot more expensive for them if they decided they wanted to go that route? I think it's something that's been drummed into their heads from the start. And I think it's all about money. And it's predictable. It's all about what your crops can do over a period of time in a predictable fashion and what you can get in terms of how much you sell it for. Mm. Um, you can't, you know, and I say this with respect because there's so many things that you have to consider in terms of whether you really are at the mercy of something much greater than yourselves. It's not like, you know, I say this um, again with respect like finance. It's not as predictable. So in terms of big agri, I think it is really all about the money. Um, I don't buy the whole, you know, feeding the nation with genetically modified food because people are starving. There are more people starving today than ever before. But what is wrong before. with GMO? Nobody's actually like really explained to so many people. We just hear the word GMO is bad and we all just believe it is. So on a very simple level, a GMO stands for genetically modified organisms. And genetics, our genetics are our DNA and RNA, which make up who we are. And with a genetically modified organism, basically what that means is they've taken um, genetics from other species. Mm. So it's not like a normal hybridization where, you know, parents, father, mother, create a child and they have the shared genetics of their lineage. It's when they actually cross species, animals into plants, fungi, bacteria into plants. And what that does with our bodies is our body can't recognize the differentiation of species in one unit. And they, they actually, it, what it does is it sparks off an immune response. So getting a hyperactive immune immunity response creates disease. That is what immunity disorder. It doesn't mean that you've got a low or bad immunity, mm. so to speak. It means that your immunity has been, um, you know, pushed to, work over over time and then it can't differentiate between the actual alien and your body and it starts to attack your body that's the one part i'm of having a vision modified. of like octo beans correct well, the island of dr moreau that's even, <laughs> yes. yes the problem is the chemicals they use to um grow these mm. products and i'm sure you're all aware of glyphosate 
Lyphosate is what they use to spray on the crop so that it kills everything that could be seen as a compet competitor to that very crop. Glyphosate has been proven to be carcinogenic amongst many other lifestyle diseases, mm. um, and it's systemic. It never leaves your system. So it's creating havoc with our bodies. So it's best to go as natural as possible. Now, um, I know, Linda, you, you do, as you've mentioned, a whole bunch of different courses. Yeah. Um, what kind of uh, courses do you – do you go around the country and do them as well? We do go around the country. We've got quite a quite a um, heavy calendar coming up for the next two months. We're doing a lot of courses, our um, organic elementary gardening course and our advanced organic gardening course the difference between the two really is that they are very different the elementary really teaches you how to start and carry on gardening for a very long time um, and the advanced course focuses more on when pests and diseases become a problem mm. and how to feed uh, we're doing a lot of talks um, in you know johannesburg and the surrounds um, this is all on our website, which is www.sortafterseedlings.co.za. Um, we're doing a presenta presentation to MediClinic on the 21st of um, October mm. at a retreat they're having about food and mood and about organic growing. So there's an option to book for that as well. And this is, this is throughout October and November. Okay, but I mean that's a lot of work, and and you're shooting with me as well. Yes, and I'm shooting. With you as well. <laughs> so, Michael, I mean, how how organic are you in your garden? As organic as I can be. I, you know, long time ago we um, got rid of any toxins we we had in the house, and this is this was years ago. But one of the things we found was there's very few centers where you can dispose of this stuff, and that we found to be a big problem where people have chemicals lying in their in their homes and they don't know where to take them to dispose of them safely and then they end up in the water system because yes. they pour them down the drain and things. So it's something that I think a lot of garden centers are starting to look at to actually have. A, we don't know what they do with them. That's also a problem. But they, they're also starting to look at that. So, you know, if you make it easy for people to go organic, I think they will go organic. Yeah. But if you make it difficult, they're going to say, well, you know, why should I, why exactly. should I bother? Such a yeah. brilliant point that, Mark. Mm. I've never actually thought about that further than just go organic but you're right what do people do with the you know the poisons that they do mm. have yeah i think we all have a, a stash of them somewhere in a garage or yeah a no, shed. We, we, we had them lying around for a long time and i eventually got uncomfortable with the whole thing but i, I think if you go and ask at the, the larger garden centers i think they're starting to pay attention so oh, so please brilliant. do please go and ask mm. and don't pour your toxins down the sink or don't throw them in the garden and hope that they'll go away because they won't. They won't. Absolutely. They're going to be there and they're bad for your health and you're bad for your pet's health as well. Yes. So, I mean, if anybody wants to find out more, as Linda said, the website is sortafterseedlings.co.za and uh, she'll have a list of all of the courses that you can attend yes. and um, some really great hints and tips and also where to get the seeds from if you like eating purple broccoli and what else? The purple cabbages and black beans and Which all those wonderful things. Psychedelic coloured vegetables. Yes, stripy yeah. <laughs> things. I mean, I, I, I mean, carrots are not supposed to be orange. We should go back to what they should be. Yeah, yeah. And you get round ones. I love the round we ones. We do. Aren't yeah. they cute? They're so cute. It looks yeah. like a hamster's been at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's always entertaining, Linda. I think it's fantastic talking to you. I, I, I always like to listen to you, and I'm, um, I am particularly spellbound by some of the things you say. And uh, as Melanie says, every time we talk to you, we, we learn something new. So fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. To talk to Thank us. you. Thank Excellent. you so much. Yeah. And of course, um, you can catch us on all kinds of green and glorious things all and the time. grounded things. And ground, keeping grounded. <laughs> That's what it is. Bye-bye. 
For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.